0: Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've learnt a lot over the last few weeks with this new and strange way of life. As far as church goes, I've learnt the amazing, powerful and wide reach of the digital world. We've been able to connect with people that we would never have normally been able to connect with, people from all over the world, and that has been amazing. But I've also learnt, or maybe just re-appreciated how important it is for us to be physically together at our church, gathering together as a church family. I've, I've missed hearing the, the loud, loud singing and praises. It feels like the roof of the church is about to lift off. I've, I've missed being able to pray together in the same room as we unite our hearts and go to our Heavenly Father together. I, I've missed coming around God's word together to learn what He has to say for us. And I've really missed talking to people face-to-face and being able to ask them how their week was. And I think that same sentiment is felt by a lot of us. You know, whether you have had not much to do because you've been furloughed by work, or, or maybe, maybe you've been busier than you ever, ever have been, and you're just desperate to catch your breath. Wherever you are, I, I think you know what it feels like to miss each other in this way. Well, we're going to move over to our Bible reading now, just before I hand over to Peter. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 to 10. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, if you could get that open on open in your own Bible, that would be great. If you've got it on your phones, get that open. But don't worry, if you don't have a Bible to hand, the words are going to be up on the screen. That's Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10, which is about that way, that far through my Bible. I'll give you a moment or two to turn there. We love to have those Bibles open. So it's Luke chapter 19, it's verses 1 to 10, and reads like this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Good morning
1: everyone. Love to all of you. If we haven't met before, my name is Peter and I'm the other pastor here at BRBC. Today we come to a passage that many of you will be really, really familiar with. Maybe you remember this story from when you grew up and it's about a little man named Zacchaeus who has this encounter with Jesus face to face. Now we find this story today at the towards the end of Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 19. Now at this point, Jesus' ministry was in full force, and his fame had spread. Crowds and peoples were gathering together. People were jostling to try and see Jesus, and maybe even receive one of his miraculous signs. He was garnering almost celebrity-like status. And today we see Zacchaeus receive a VIP pass, a close encounter with Jesus, the man who everyone wants to see. Now, I think we can relate to the crowds in this story. We might have a little dream inside of a celebrity, a celebrity that we'd like to meet or spend time with. You might find yourself uh, a part of many different sort of crowds, following all different kinds of celebrities, whether it be authors, writers, musicians, and whatever, whoever it might be. We we have a a hope that one, maybe, we'd have a chance to meet them and be with them. We love asking each other all the time, if you could meet one person, who would it be and why? But we also know, I think, that deep down, if we were to meet that celebrity, it wouldn't be the experience we hoped for. Yes, they might be warm, they might be polite, but they probably wouldn't remember our name at the end of it. Or maybe it's just that, we won't mean as much to them as they mean to us. We're fa- afraid of the truth that we are just one more fan among the many. But today, as we'll see, the most talked about man in the area, Jesus himself, he rolls up into Zacchaeus's neighborhood. And as the crowds are gathering, Jesus doesn't act like the celebrity we expect him to act like, nor does he act like the God that we think he should act Like, And so we, like the crowds, are offended, taken back by who Jesus chooses to spend time with, the most despised man in the area, Zacchaeus. So today, as we sort of jump into this new series that we're calling When People Meet Jesus Face to Face, we are invited to take a fresh look at this memorable story and be provoked by the scandalous grace of God again. This story, as we'll see, it shatters our assumptions of who it is that God comes looking for. It will shatter our assumptions of who it is that God comes looking for. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through the passage one more time and sort of explain it so we all understand what's going on in the story. And then we're going to discover three things about God, who his people is, what the heart of God is, and what the mission of God is. The people of God, the heart of God, and the mission of God so we're going to reread verses 1 and 4. Would you read verses 1 and through 4 with me again? We read this. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Now first, we read at the very beginning, he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now Jericho at the time was a very wealthy city, sort of the palm springs of the ancient Near East. Very, very wealthy, luxurious, opulent. They had many, many fresh springs in the city. In fact, archaeologists, archaeologists found that the governor In fact, planted balsam trees down every road in Jericho so the whole city would smell fragrant and luxurious. This was a high living city. It was a major trades town. It was full of lots of wealthy people. And we read that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now, as we've mentioned, this story comes towards the end of Luke's gospel. And later on in the chapter, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem the last place he'll be as he goes to be crucified. So, and so Jericho is kind of the last place outside of Jerusalem that Jesus is before he enters. And he comes to Jericho, this wealthy, opulent area. And we're, we're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. A man named Zacchaeus. Now, if we just stop the story there, you might think, okay, we're going through a rich town and then there's a man there named Zacchaeus. Now, the name Zacchaeus means innocent one or righteous, which is quite ironic because if as we read more through the story, we'll find that's probably the exact opposite of what Zacchaeus is. So as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, there's a man there named Zacchaeus. But we read in the middle of verse 2: He was a chief tax collector and he was very rich. He was a tax collector. Now, I know I don't really like doing my taxes. I'm sure you probably don't like doing your taxes either. Taxes aren't fun, really, regardless. But at this time, tax collectors were especially sort of despised because of the way that the Roman Empire set up collecting taxes. Now, the Roman Empire was quite clever and smart. They didn't send sort of a Roman official into a village, a community, a city, and say, well, you need to pay our taxes to this Roman official. Instead, what they did was they basically put out tax collection out for bid. Basically, would someone like to collect taxes from their own people and you will be paid? A way of sort of keeping the peace between the Romans and those under their authority. And so tax collectors would sort of bid and pay all that money up front. And in return, they'd be given a little piece of paper, which meant they could go and tax people however much they seemed fit, sort of. You can tax people over what you owed and all that money you could pocket, you could take as a commission. So obviously many of these tax collectors, when they were uh, taxing people, with tax way more than they needed to in order that they might take a big bonus and salary. And more even than that, it wasn't just that they were corrupt, but these people were from the same towns and villages that they were collecting taxes from. They were seen as traitors those who betrayed their family, their cousins, their parents, their friends, their community, in order to gain money, to dine on the backs of those who were their own people. And here in this passage, Zacchaeus isn't just the tax collector. He's the chief tax collector of this rich, wealthy province, one who would have taxed way, way more than many other places. He was Despised, people were disgusted by the injustice that the tax collectors did, and especially Zacchaeus. He was an outsider in his own community. But we read in verse 3 this, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, as we mentioned, the sort of the fame around Jesus had been growing. Some people said he was a political revolutionary. Uh, an insurrectionist. Others said he was a prophet, and some even said he might be the Messiah. There's lots going on around Jesus, and Zacchaeus wants to take a look. Who is this Jesus? There's intrigue. But in the end of verse 3, we read, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus, we learn, is short. He's a small man. And we know from archaeological evidence that actually many of the men at this time were quite short by our standards, the average height for a male in this time was about five foot five. So if that was average, and we were told that Zacchaeus was especially short, he was a very short man, because of the crowd, he could not get through. and it's not as if this crowd who he betrayed was going to let him pass through and take a better look at Jesus instead of them. So he cannot see Jesus. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is clever. He's a smart man. Some people think that because he was small is why he got into the sort of the cunning business of tax collecting. But whatever it is that brought him to be a tax collector, he is clever. And he realizes that Jesus is coming down the road and even though the crowds are over there, at some point Jesus will be over here. So I'm gonna go run up into a tree so I can have a bird's eye view And see Jesus for myself. He's clever. And we see that his plan actually works. Would you read verses 5 and 6 with me? And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. His plan works. And then there's this amazing scene of Jesus coming to the tree and looking up to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the one who was always looked down upon both literally and metaphorically, he comes and with the crowds looks up to Zacchaeus and says, Today I must come to your house. And he calls him by name. There's this almost forceful aspect to what Jesus is saying, I must come to your house, Zacchaeus. Now when we started this passage, we saw that He was sort of passing through Jericho. It seems sort of coincidental. But obviously, it's as if Jesus has a laser focus. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus gets much more than he bargained for. He just wanted to see Jesus. But here, Jesus wants to eat with him. Now, normally, however high anyone's status is, people never invited themselves over for dinner for someone else's house. That was just something that you never did. I mean, even in sort of British cultural life, think about someone coming up to you and saying, hey, I'm coming over to your house for dinner tonight. It's just, it's quite abrasive. And yet Jesus breaks the cultural norms and he goes straight for Zacchaeus. I'm coming over to your house today. Now, we aren't told that they have a meal together, but it's very much implied staying at one's house would involve a meal. I know many of you are watching in your living rooms right now and you might be able to see your dining room and your dining set. Think about Jesus saying, I'm coming to your house today to eat at your table. Out of the blue, so this is not what Zacchaeus was thinking was going to happen, nor is it what the crowds think was going to happen. Look at the crowd's response in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to in to be the guest of a man Who is a sinner? The crowds are grumbling. Why would Jesus, of all people, why would he choose Zacchaeus to go and have a meal with? Interestingly, here, the crowds don't even mention Zacchaeus by name. They know full well who Zacchaeus is, and yet they call him just a man who is a sinner. They're offended. Why would Jesus choose to be with Zacchaeus? But we see how transformative this is for Zacchaeus in verses eight to ten. Let's read that together. In verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation is come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek. And to save the lost. Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' house. Now we're not told how quickly this interaction happens. This could have been a whole day in between uh, Jesus coming to Zacchaeus' house. And it could have been really, really short. But something happened when Jesus went into Zacchaeus' home. That all of a sudden Zacchaeus is transformed. He gives a pledge. He'll give away half of his money straight to the poor And anyone he has defrauded, which would have been a lot of people, he will pay back four times as much. There's not going to be very much left over at the end of this. It's as if this encounter with Jesus fundamentally changes Zacchaeus, that he cannot help but by giving back the money he stole. It's as if he can't even help but doing that. He has found a new, richer life. And Jesus says, today. Today salvation has come to this man's house for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. the lost sheep has been found, and Jesus is pulling on all the images of the Old Testament of God' people being sheep who are lost, and Zacchaeus is a lost sheep who has been found. What has just happened is exactly what Jesus has come for to seek and save people like Zacchaeus so that is the story of Zacchaeus. But what does it mean? What what does it mean for us? As we mentioned, we're going to look at what this means of who the people of God are, what the heart of God is, and thirdly, what the mission of God is. So first, the people of God. In this story, we see the first scandalous truth of what type of people God chooses to draw near to, humbled sinners. God's people are humbled sinners. Now, in this story, Zacchaeus is the embodiment of anyone who's given into the way of the world, who's rejected God's laws, who's given into the way of greed, who is given into the way of trampling on other people for his own gain, a sinner. And yet this is the man that Jesus welcomes into his kingdom. I think we normally suppose that God is basically looking for good people. Now, many of our entire lives are built on that assumption. We believe God is looking for good people. Now, maybe some of you watching are thinking, well, I don't really believe in God, so that's not true. Okay, but if you don't consider yourself a Christian or you believe in God, I still would suggest that perhaps your life is catered around looking like a good, respectable person to all the people around you, whether it be your coworkers, your neighbors your parents, your friends. We're all anxiously trying to live our lives and climb the ladder of status. Trying our hardest to win the affection and the approval of the people around us because of who we are and what we can do. And it's hard work. I mean, we're constantly looking over our shoulders. Is someone going to see what I'm doing? And constantly covering up our mistakes to make ourselves look as best as we can so we can show off just a little and because we live our lives sort of next to one another, it becomes a race. Because our goodness, it's never just good by itself. It's always goodness in relation to one another. And so what we do is we plot ourselves somewhere on a graph of where we think we fit. As we're sort of vying for recognition and wholeness. Who's going to get the promotion? Who's going to get the shout out? Who, When we're split up in teams, who's going to be picked first? But when Jesus comes, the one whom all the crowds are gathering around, he calls Zacchaeus, the lowest point on the graph. And the entire system is thrown off balance. And this is perhaps the hardest, yet most liberating truth of Christianity. And it's this that Christianity does not discriminate between good people and bad people, Christianity discriminates between humble people and proud people. I should say that one more time, Christianity does not discriminate between good people and bad people, but between humble people and proud people. You see, Jesus, he's not interested in playing the game of religion, of plotting us out because of this truth that he knows we, all of us, would fail. Underneath any sort of veneer of goodness, Jesus sees us exactly as we are all of our hearts are open to him the truth of christianity is that we are all plotted at the very bottom of the graph but jesus doesn't want to relate to us on the basis of the religion game because he loves us instead he asks us to humble ourselves to let go of our striving and accept his offer of grace this point i think is made really clear When we look at this story in relation to another story that Luke mentions just a couple paragraphs before. If you look in your Bibles in chapter 18, only two paragraphs before, we see the story of the rich young ruler. And they're very, very similar stories in many ways. In Luke 18, we have this rich man who is polite. He's respectable. He comes from a good family. He's followed all of God's law. And he comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to him, Well, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. In short, throw it all away. Stop playing the game. Humble yourself and find a different kind of treasure. But the rich young elite ruler can't, and he goes away sad. Unable to let go of his pride means he's unable to grab hold of the treasures that Jesus has for him. Jesus concludes by saying how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But here, a couple paragraphs later, we have another rich man, probably much more rich than that young rich ruler. Zacchaeus is the camel that got through the eye of the needle. Why? Well, Jesus explains in Luke 18, What is impossible for man is possible with God. That is humility. Humility means letting go of our ability to save ourselves, to prove ourselves, to be good enough, so that Jesus can pour out his one-way love and his grace. You know, many of us are often unwilling, though, to let go of our pride because so much of our life has built around providing this sense of security and meaning for so long. Even for those of us who know and love Jesus, I know I find it extremely difficult to break the twitch of religion. And it's when we encounter Zacchaeus of all sizes and statures in real life that we're brought to this truth again and again. Sometimes it is beautiful to see the prodigal son coming home. Other times it's really difficult because it challenges our game of religion. Maybe a recent example of this sort of in pop culture can be seen in the life of Kanye West. Uh, If you don't know Kanye West, probably the most famous hip hop artist of our time currently. And he has a quite a checkered past, if you know, but in the past couple of years, He's gone somewhat of a transformation. And he has said that he had found God and he had found Jesus. And that he was now giving up secular music and instead for gospel Christian music. Now, people had all different responses. How could he, how could he have found Jesus? Is he really following Jesus? there's all this suspicion, could Kanye West actually believe that Jesus is King, the name of his new album. Well, in the Washington Post, Esau Macaulay, who's a professor at Wheaton College, explains what was going on. He says, many are suspicious that West turned to Christianity only when his public embrace of President Trump alienated his base audience. Those who are suspicious, they suggest that he's taking advantage of the fact that the church will forgive almost anyone. They claim that Wes is part of a long line of people who use the church to benefit and leave it when it no longer suits them. Sort of, he's cashing in on a base audience and the church is basically too gullible and will forgive him too quickly. However, he goes on to say this, a central teaching of Christianity is that we are all tax collectors in the sense that we are all complicit in the harm done to ourselves and to others. For that reason, the grace afforded to us is available to others, even before they have fully explained themselves to our satisfaction. We don't require accountability before extending a welcome. He says, I'm not worried about the church's reputation more than Jesus was about his Every week, Christians gather to worship a God who is unjustly stripped, beaten, tortured, and crucified by the state. Nonetheless, we believe We believe God was at work in the midst of that profound evil and humiliation. Christians follow God for whom reputation, protection, never trumps love. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul referred to his message as the foolishness of the cross. Some might be tempted to portray Kanye West as a kind of prodigal son, someone who's finally come home to the Christian faith. But Christians in particular should view him in the same way that we view ourselves. West is a tax collector, and Jesus is king. This is the scandal of Christianity, that Jesus will forgive anyone, even those we can't imagine forgiving. And this is good news this morning for you and for me. In Zacchaeus, we see the radical availability of God's kingdom. It is not for the elite few who have managed to display their life in a way that appears respectable. It's for all of us. Jesus does not raise the bar and say, you must get to here. Rather, Jesus drops the bar as low as it can go. Zacchaeus stands as a trophy of God's grace. Jesus intentionally walked through the crowd, came to the most despised and hated man, and publicly said, I want to have dinner with you. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is an emphatic declaration that the reach of God's grace goes further than the most outcast sinners in society. Those with skeletons in their closets, those with tainted histories, those who stand at a distance, those on the fringe, those the rest of us probably would have given up on, In short, every single one of us. The people of God are humbled sinners who receive Jesus' one-way love. In short, you don't need to keep playing the religion game. The people of God are humbled sinners. But secondly as well, this story gives us a peek into the heart of God. At the heart of God, that he is a friend of sinners. Would you read verses 5 and 6 with me again? Verse 5 reads, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And maybe when you first have met someone, they may have said something like this that people sometimes say to me, Oh, Peter, it's so good to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Which instantly makes you think, who did you hear from and what did you hear? Maybe you've felt that way before. When someone comes knowing your name before you know theirs, what do they know about me? Jesus had never met Zacchaeus before, in person, face to face. But when he does, he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Think about it. The name of Zacchaeus is on the lips of Jesus. He knows everything about Zacchaeus, more than just his name. He knows every single penny he has stolen. Not scary, the thought that Jesus himself has our names on his lips and that he knows everything, probably better than we even know about ourselves. That, that can be a scary thought. But at the same time, it is beautiful because of what Jesus says next. I must come to your house today. The one who knows everything about us says I must come to your house today. So said, consider Jesus sitting at the dining room table. Zacchaeus could only be addressed by someone who knew his name and knew his secrets. In Jesus, we are addressed by someone who doesn't see us as fundamentally alien. He can empathize with the complex emotional and intellectual realities that often make us feel like Zacchaeus standing at a distance an outcast standing on the fringe. He knows Zacchaeus by name. He knows you by name. Notice that the crowd, though, doesn't even call Zacchaeus by name. They knew him so well. They say, this is, man is a sinner. But Jesus says, no, this is Zacchaeus, and I must come to his house today. Oftentimes, <laughs> throughout the Gospels, especially in Luke, Jesus is often Going towards the edges, the fringes of society. Spending time with prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors. In Matthew 11, Matthew accounts of sort of the crowds grumbling. And he says that they said this. That the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus comes and he dines with lepers, sinners, tax collectors. It's as if they all feel comfortable around him. That's to say, it's not just that Jesus comes and gives us some impersonal object called salvation. It's that Jesus comes to dine with us and be with us, to eat with us. So what does it mean that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Well, at the very least, it means he enjoys spending time with them. Think about it, he enjoys spending time with him. Zacchaeus, I'm coming over for dinner today. I'm coming to your house. Throughout the Gospels, we often see that the people who feel most comfortable at ease around Jesus are those who know their brokenness most acutely. There's a sense of balm and hope and confidence when they encounter Jesus. It's those who are proud that keep him at arm's length. They feel welcome and comfortable, those who feel their brokenness most acutely. And in Jesus, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Think about that. Jesus, the friend of sinners, will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. A companion whose embrace does not strengthen or weaken weaken depending on how clean or unclean we are, how attractive or revolting we are, how short or how tall, how faithful or how fickle. This is Jesus, the friend of sinners. Even think about your closest friend, whether it be your spouse or a friend you grew up with, even them, we don't feel fully comfortable and safe with them. Marriages that last for years and years are still working at being completely vulnerable with each other. We can't entrust our deepest, deepest heart to them. All of our human relationships have a limit to which they can withstand. But what if, what if there was a friend who didn't raise his eyebrows at what we've done, who knew us by name, who knew us better than we knew ourselves and still came near to us? This is Jesus, the friend of sinners. So for some of you, who know and follow Jesus, maybe this truth needs to sink in for us. As Paul Tripp has said, the grace that meets you today is just as real and as powerful as the grace that rescued you when you first believed. The heart of Jesus is that he is a friend of sinners. That leads us to our third and final point in verses 8 and 10. The mission of God is saving sinners. The mission of God is saving sinners. Would you read verses 8 to 10 with me? Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Says if Jesus gives us the entire purpose statement of why he is here. He has come to seek and save the lost. In Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was coming to seek out who this Jesus was, but in the process, he finds that Jesus was seeking him. This whole concept of the word today in Luke is very, very special and important as we see today salvation has come to this household. Throughout Luke's gospel, he uses today as sort of moments when joy encircles Jesus in those who come in contact. The first is at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, when the angels come to the shepherds who announce the arrival of baby Jesus. They say, today I bring you glad tidings of joy, for to you Christ is born in in the city of David today. We have it here in Luke, and at the end of Luke's Gospel as well, the thief on the cross, what does Jesus say to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today, it's this image of a moment of joy when the lost are found. If you turn back in Luke's Gospel, just a couple chapters to chapter 15, we have three stories of a lost sheep that is found, a lost coin that is found, and the prodigal son who returns home. And in all three, there is resounding joy when that happens. In chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says this, For just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who have no repentance. Then down to verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over the one sinner who repents. And the story of the prodigal son, the son returning, and a huge party is thrown. In short, when the mission of God is accomplished, all of heaven sings. And the mission of God is to seek and save lost people. In many ways, as we said, Jesus is a celebrity, but in many ways, he acts as sort of the anti-celebrity. Instead of basking in the frenzy of the crowds, jostling to get a better view of him, he seeks out the one on the fringe in a circle, and all of heaven erupts in joy. He shares the worthiness and honor of his own recognition with people who don't deserve it. God draws near to the people most unlike him. The holy God takes on human flesh so that he can draw near to his sinful, broken creatures. And he does it in order to save them. Now, as you look at this passage, you might immediately think, Oh, wow, Zacchaeus has done an amazing thing. I mean, he has given away so much money. You know, I want to be saved too. I should give away all of my money or I need to display some grand um manifestation of what has happened, but that's in the wrong order. The salvation comes, and as a result, Zacchaeus gives away all to the poor. Jesus called us to belong first before asking us to do anything. You know, many of us feel like we don't have anything to bring to the table. We can't, we don't feel like we can act like Zacchaeus did. But Jesus says, I know you can't bring anything to the table, but that's okay because I'm going to come to your table first. This is the truth of how we are transformed by receiving Jesus into our lives and beholding his grace to us. You know, there's a famous hymn that gets this so right, I think. And the hymn's line is, To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, turns a slave into a child, and duty into choice. Real life transformation is possible, but it does not come from a sort of inner deep resolve. It comes through being with Jesus, the friend of sinners, the God who seeks after you and me. And when that happens, our desires are renewed. We are transformed to look more like him. It says, if all of a sudden... Uh, a contagion of grace is released in Zacchaeus's life and it starts infecting the community. Think about what sort of effects that would have had on this entire community that now they see this man who has been transformed by being with Jesus. So Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. Now you might be thinking, okay, Peter, this is all really helpful, but I haven't had an encounter face to face like Zacchaeus has. What does this mean for me? Is this just for Zacchaeus? No, because when we started this study, we saw that Jesus was passing through Jericho, and He was headed into Jerusalem, and He was headed to a very specific place. That place was the Mount of Calvary, where He would take upon all of our sin. He would be cast out for us, so that we might be welcomed into His presence. The writer of Hebrews says that He is had to go outside of the city gates. Jesus had become the ultimate outsider so we might be included. Jesus has come face to face with our humanity, and he has not turned his face away. Instead, he bears our ugliness and our shame. He takes it upon himself, and he pours out his grace so that he might welcome us in love into the community that is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I've quoted this before, but I think it's helpful to quote again. The theologian Karl Barth often talks about when we look at the cross, it would be wise to see the two other crosses on either side of Jesus. To show us that Jesus spent his dying moments associated with the lowest of the low, keeping company with those the world condemns. The point is to locate God. Where is God? Behold, He's on the cross, dying for criminals, next to criminals, and everything flows from here. In the story of Zacchaeus, we see that the people of God are humbled sinners, who are not proud, but accept the grace of Jesus. Because the heart of Jesus, he is a friend of sinners who draws near. And this is the entire mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost, and all of heaven erupts in joy. So today is an invitation to stop playing the games of religion, to let go and accept that Jesus really is a friend of sinners to us. It's been really, really good to be with you this morning. As you enter into your weeks, um, I hope that you can find comfort in the fact that Jesus knows you by name, that he is a friend of sinners, a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Jesus, the Son of Man, who came to seek and to save the lost. And as we know, when there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, there is an eruption of joy, for this is the mission of God. May you know, Jesus' presence in your life, that he is a friend of sinners this week. Go in peace.